Well, hey, good morning. How's everybody doing? Man, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. It's good to be back with you guys. Um, if you uh, are new to Riverview or uh, haven't been here for a really long time, like nine months, uh, Ashley and I, we just had uh, a baby girl um, last month. Um, we got her to pose for this picture for you guys. Uh, and so, yeah, Audra Grace, thank you. She came into the world a month ago, and she's been fantastic, and she's sleeping well. She's eating well. Um, uh, she consoles easily until last night. Um, and just was up all night, and uh, up until last night, I was like, man, this is the easiest baby in the world, and and I don't know, like, if she's, like, easier, or if just, like, we're older now, you know, like, it's been 10 years since we've had a kiddo, and so maybe we're more mellow, and things are different, I don't know, but uh, she's been great, so thank you, uh, over the past month, um, you guys have been just really gracious uh, to give me time uh, to be with uh, my wife, and to be with our kids, and just to kind of settle into what life looks like now with four kiddos, um, and it's been awesome. I heard somebody, I heard a comedian say one time though, he's like, hey, what's it like the transition to four kids? Uh, and he was like, hey, um, just imagine having three kids and you're drowning and somebody hands you another one. And, and that's kind of what it's like. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but um, we're just getting started and things are going really, really well. So thank you for continuing to pray for us and giving us that room. Um, but you guys over the last month have been blessed uh, by hearing a couple of our elders uh, teach. And so uh, Scott Shepard taught last week and Lonnie caught, taught a few weeks ago. And, uh, and then we had uh, Tim who taught uh, a couple weeks for us as well, our worship and discipleship pastor. And so you guys have had a blessing uh, of a month in teaching. And so would you uh, um, join me in thanking those guys uh, for stepping in the last month? Uh, thank you guys uh, for, for teaching. Um, it's, it was a blessing uh, to me. Uh, I'm going to give just two quick announcements before we uh, jump into what we're going to be doing. Um, if you notice, there are racks of chairs that are in the auditorium right now. Um, if you need chairs at your house for whatever reason, I don't know, um, grab grab one. Uh, we got new chairs uh, at the church, and so those folding chairs that are out there on racks, we want to get rid of those. And so I think, I think in the the worship folder, it says 10 bucks a chair or whatnot, or just take a bunch of them and just give whatever you want to give. Um, we would just like to see those chairs being used and uh, out of here. So take those. Um, and then on Friday, I just want to, I want to, I want to reiterate uh, good Friday service. It's going to be a great night of worship and contemplation together. Um, and so as we enter into Holy Week today, um, we'll continue through to Friday and then Saturday and Sunday, of course. Um, but uh, I want, I want to encourage you to come be a part of that. Um, it's just part of what we do here at Riverview. And uh, earlier that day with the kids egg hunt, uh, we want you to be a part of that too. It's all, it's all a, a part of what we do for, for Easter, uh, for Easter week and celebrating um, the resurrection. So um, that being said, uh, open up your Bibles to John chapter one. Uh, it's good to be able to get back and to dive deeply into God's word together. If you uh, don't have a Bible and you want one, we would love to put one in your hands um, because uh, that's what we do. Uh, we open up God's word and we hear what he has to say to us. Um, if you don't have a Bible right now and you have your device, you can find whatever translation you want and pull it up on there. Um, we welcome you uh, to do that. Uh, we just wanna be looking at the same thing uh, together. So uh, John uh, chapter one, 
Now, we are all getting ready uh, to jump in uh, to Easter uh, this week, right? Um, But today is Palm Sunday. It's the day that we historically celebrate Palm Sunday. And so, of course, with this week and next week coming for Easter, um, we're going to be talking a lot about Jesus, as we should, right? Um, We're at church. We should be talking about Jesus. Um, It's Easter. We should be talking about Jesus. But I was was thinking, and and you should talk about Jesus outside of church also. Just let me say that. but as I was thinking about um, Easter coming up next Sunday, the thought came to my mind is, uh, what if people don't really know who Jesus is? Settle on that for a second. What if people don't really know who Jesus is? You're like, oh, I know, this is, this is church. We all know who Jesus is. No, settle on that for a minute. What if we don't really know? What if somehow there's a chance that when we say the name of Jesus, not all of us in, the same, all of us in this room have the same um, idea of who Jesus is, that we're not really actually talking about the same person. Because here's what I'm afraid of sometimes, that when we get into the holidays, we get into, um, especially right now, like Christer, uh, um, Christmas, the, the, uh, the church just swells, right? You're just bursting at the seams. Easter, you get closer to Easter, um, more seats starts filling up and you get a lot of people in the room. And that's great. We just love gathering together as a community and, and preaching Jesus and, and, and being the community of Christ together. We love that. But I know when the room starts to swell up, we don't always have the same, we have the same mindset when we start talking about Jesus. Jesus. The name Jesus doesn't mean the same thing to, to everyone. Now, maybe there's a chance historically, or when we start thinking nostalgically about like, man, I know uh, 30 years ago or 50 years ago or 70 years ago, when I said Jesus, we were all kind of on the same page. Like, yeah, yeah, maybe we would have had some small variations on, on who Jesus is, like, but not like major um, issues when it comes to core doctrines of, of, of Jesus and, and the church. And so we can kind of romanticize about what it used to be to, to where we are now. Um, maybe there was some variances, but, but I think because of social norms changing, um, things that are going on in the media, um, our traditional upbringing, depending on what background you come from, um, or the cultural pressure that just keeps heating up all, all around us, or just because like, you have an idea on how you want to live your life, and when you read the scriptures, it doesn't really fit according to your lifestyle. Like We, we read these things, and I'm afraid of when we, see, we say Jesus, we, could, we may not even be on the same playing field. That I say one thing and mean one thing, and I, you say the same name, but you mean something totally different. When I was growing up, uh, Jesus in our house, it meant Jesus. Like the historical kind of um, uh, uh, what you would think of when you start thinking 50, 60 years ago. This is um, who we all would have thought about. In our house, we had uh, Jesus. He was the, the, the guy holding the lamb above the, the living room door. Did anybody else have that picture hanging in, in your house somewhere? Yeah, I wouldn't admit it either. Um, but in our house, like we had this traditional view. This is who Jesus was, right? When I, uh, when Ashley and I, we lived in Texas uh, not too long ago. Um, gosh, I don't know, eight years ago now, six years ago, eight years somewhere, somewhere in that time frame, and we were renting a house. And uh, in in the the backyard, the the sprinkler, not the sprinkler, the the spigot, the faucet on the on the back of the house, like it leaked like crazy. And when I say leak, I'm not talking about like, drip, drip. I'm talking like it was like a flood in the backyard. And, and we had to pay the water bill. 
which, and so that immediately, I cared about getting it fixed, right? Because it was astronomical. And so I talked to the landlord and I said, hey, uh, landlord, uh, we're renting this house. You're responsible for this house. Can you fix the, the water spigot in the backyard? He said, sure, I'll get, I'll get it fixed. And uh, so it took him a while to do it. Um, but to his credit, he finally did get around to uh, sending out a repairman to our house. And so uh, one day I went to work, came home from work, and there was a, um, a repair slip on the door. And the back uh, spigot had been fixed. And it said, uh, repaired by, and was signed by, Jesus. And I was like, wait a minute. Jesus fixed our water spigot? Like, this is pretty cool. Or phonetically, it was Jesus. Jesus was our plumber. He was the repairman who came to fix our water spigot. But I thought, hey, this is pretty awesome, though. Um, Ashley's not home yet. I'm going to play with this. And so uh, she came home. And she said, hey, is that water spigot in the backyard? Is it fixed yet? I said, absolutely it is. And she said, really? I said, yeah. I said, Jesus fixed it. And she said, what? I said, yeah, take a look. Jesus fixed our, now, of course, it was Jesus who came and fixed it. He was our, our plumber. I don't know when we say Jesus if we're talking about the same person. Um, when Muslims hear the name Jesus, it's not the same understanding of what we read when we read in the scriptures. He's important in the narrative, but he's not the same person. He's not the central person of salvation. He's not the focus of attention. Um, when a Hindu or a Mormon says the name Jesus, there are completely different backstories on what they're coming up with, um, who they're actually referring to. It's the same name, but it's not in any regard the same person. You can walk onto any college campus uh, around the United States right now um, you can walk down any, any street in any major city around the United States. And if you ask the question, who is Jesus, you're going to get remarkably different answers. There's not going to be maybe one standard answer that you're going to get. There's an answer that we want to hear. There's an answer that we internally feel. But around our college campuses, around our culture right now, that's not necessarily what you're going to get. Um, there is a sad state of affairs that are going on. I, I'm not sure if you've read any of the recent data on faith in our culture of Christianity in our culture or any of the, the recent Barna studies. But when you read this stuff, man, it is like, a, it's like your heart gets hit and it just sinks in your chest because the state of our um, faith union is, is not doing well. And if you think that's just on the outside, that it's just in the big cities, um, if you've got teenagers in your house, if you've got adults um, outside of your, your immediate family living in your house and you go home and you ask, hey, who is Jesus? There is a chance that the answer that they give is not going to be the same answer that you would hope that you, that you would hear. It's just, it's just a different world that we're living in. And so as we roll into Easter, I think it would be prudent as we're starting to talk more about Jesus that it, and that it would be a really good idea to make sure that when we talk about him and we say his name, that we're talking about the same man. Would you agree? And so let's answer this question, who is Jesus? Who's Jesus? If you, if you weren't out in the fields around Christmas time or out in what we would refer a stable or a barn or however that thing worked out in Bethlehem, if you weren't there, when you see Jesus in the scriptures outside, like especially in John here, um, he just kind of pops up. We see him in Nazareth, uh, in, in, uh, being born or being living in the town of Nazareth, living in the area of Galilee. And he shows up, and he's somewhere in his thirties. And we're like, man, that went fast. And uh, of course, he grew up in Nazareth. 
He grew up in the Galilee area and people knew him, but apparently they didn't like know him, know him, right? Like they knew him as, as Jesus who lived down on 6th Street. Um, they knew him as, hey, that's the carpenter's son. That's the guy that we've grown up with. That's the guy that we know. And when he starts doing Jesus kind of stuff, the stuff that we're familiar with, with miracles and this uh, um, uh, uh, teaching with, with power and incredible casting out of demons, when we start seeing that kind of stuff and they started seeing that, like, wait a minute, this isn't the Jesus we know. We grew up with him. This is not the, this is not the same guy. And so when we look in the book of John, we just kind of see Jesus showing up on the scene. And certainly if somebody shows up on the scene and he starts talking and claiming, hey, I'm the son of God, I'm the savior of the world, you wanna make sure that you're not dealing with a raging lunatic. You wanna make sure that this person hasn't lost their, their mind and they're speaking in their right mind and you have clarity on who's standing in front of you, who's saying these things. Now to be clear, in Israel around this time, there were people who were looking for a savior. There were people who were, who were waiting for the Messiah to come. And now on this day that we're celebrating right now on Palm Sunday, there were people who were waiting for the Savior. They were, and for them, Jesus was it. So Jesus is in Bethany and he's rolling into Jerusalem and there are palm branches waving and there are cloaks being thrown on the ground. And there is this magnificent event of people welcoming their king on the side of the hill. And they are yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, for which every one of us know uh, who's been around the church for a long time. It is God save us. We are in a wretched position. We don't like where we are and we need you to step in and do something about it. You're coming in, you're riding on the colt of a donkey. God, save us from what we're in the middle of. And this was the fanfare that he was getting on what we consider Palm Sunday. And the people who were on the hill, they, I mean, they were filled with hope that Jesus was their guy. Now, of course, just like today, there were people who weren't really amused by Jesus who were standing out there as well, who were in the city, in the cities who were around Israel, and uh, Jesus was not a savior for them. They figured they had life all figured out. They were good. They were doing their thing. Um, uh, of course, they didn't need uh, a savior. They didn't need uh, anybody to come in and save them from sin because for them, sin didn't exist. It was, they, they were generally good people. I'm, I'm a good guy, I do things right. I'm a good girl, I do things right. And so why on earth would I need a savior? So it's much like today, there are people who are living in that same category, not, no, no, feeling like there is no need of a savior, a savior. They just feel like they're all good. For them, Jesus wasn't a savior. He was just another guy, a good guy, not a savior. Maybe a plumber. Isn't that like today? There are all kinds of opinions on who Jesus is. Maybe he's just a plumber. Maybe he's a prophet. Maybe he is the savior that he says he is. And so when we're rolling in Easter, we wanna know that Jesus is who he says he is, that we are on the same page. When you read the letter of John, it's clear that this is the most Christological letter that we have of the gospels. And when we say Christological, what we mean is like, this is just, this is so Christ-centered that it is bent on letting you know who Jesus is and where he's come from. John's aim as he writes this letter is that he wants people to know Jesus. He wants, if you have questions, he wants to answer your questions. He's not holding anything back. And so John says, this is Jesus. He holds him up. He says, here he is. Look at Jesus. Here, he, here is his humanity. Here is his deity. He is God. He is man. He is your savior. He is my savior. And for 12 chapters, 
This is what John does. He holds up Jesus and says, here he is, 20 chapters. And at the end of that letter, he says in chapter 20, starting in verse 30, he says, now Jesus didn't, uh, um, John is, is, is writing this. He says, now Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Now, it said in, in, in the scriptures that there, if everything were to be written about what Jesus did in the short span of his life, there is not enough paper, there is not enough ink, there are not enough pens, there are not, not enough libraries that could hold everything that he did. But John said, what I am giving you, I am writing you for this express, express purpose in verse 31. They're written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so when we look at John chapter one here this morning, what we want is for you to know Jesus. We want you to know who Jesus is for one reason and one reason only. It's so that you can believe. It's so that we can believe in what scripture says of Jesus. And we really want you to know Jesus because we believe that that's where true life is. We do, that's where we experience true, true life. That we are living in a culture, I think, that has lied to us and said that you can find life anywhere. That you just go find your truth. If you, if you wanna make it, you can, you can forge and find your own truth. You just go out and do you. Hey, do you, boo, right? That this is the culture that we're living in. And, and, and everything circles around you. Like you are the center of the universe and everything in your little circle has gotta fit you and do what you want, when you wanna do it. There is no consideration of maybe Jesus is the center. There's no consideration of where is God's word in this. In our culture is just, you go figure out what is best for you, and you pull the trigger on that. It's focused around us. But we believe what John says here, that life is in his name. That is the only place that we're going to find life. You may find fun, you may find experience, but the place that you're gonna find life that is gonna lead to eternal life is gonna be in Jesus and in Jesus alone. You're not gonna find it anywhere else. And so look at what John says, starting in verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, these are five short verses, but I think that there is, 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 there's four things I think that we can pull out of here that I think that we just need to know about Jesus. That if we built our faith and our life around these four truths that we find out about who Jesus is, that our faith would be well-founded, we would be well-grounded and anchored, and we'd really be able to stand up probably to just about any storm that might come our way. Doesn't mean that we won't get rocked back and forth from time to time, but I think our anchor would hold. So we wanna give these four truths. And if you're writing things down, let's start with number one here, that Jesus is the word of God. He's the word of God. John one says, uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Now I don't know if you're a good reader or not, but I'm not always a good reader. And so I get confused by what I read. And when I read this, I think, what on earth does that mean? What does it mean that uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God? Are we talking about Jesus? Are we talking about a word? Are we talking about a letter? What, like, what are we, what, what's going on here? Um, what does it mean that Jesus is the word of God? Now, would you all agree with me that there are a lot of words in this book? Would you all agree that there are a lot of words in the Bible? 
And when you start putting those words together and making sentences and making paragraphs and creating letters, that when you read this, that it can get quite confusing sometimes. Would you agree with that? Or do you, y'all got it all figured out? Yeah. We switch places. There's a lot of confusing things when we open up this word. There's a lot of things that don't really make sense sometimes. And, as, and if you read it without the lens of Jesus in any of these scriptures, it's totally not gonna make sense to us. None of it's gonna make sense unless we put on the lens of, of, of Jesus when we read. But when we put on Jesus and we plug Jesus into this, um, we have a better chance at understanding what we're reading here. And so I think that what John is saying here is that when we look at Jesus, we see the word of God in flesh. He helps make it clear. He helps make it understandable for us. He helps to take these mysteries that are very difficult that God has written for us in ages gone by to where we read it today that he helps us to understand. When we look at Jesus, we can better understand what scripture says. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Egyptian hieroglyphics or not. Anybody like a, a Egyptologist or I don't know if that's a thing. Um, but like study Egypt, um, but this is hieroglyphics, right? Um, and for centuries, nobody understood what any of this meant. Like the Egyptians, they, they communicated with one another in symbol. Now we look at that and we're like, well, that's a bird and there's an eye, like bird eye, eye bird. Um, there's a foot there, a bird in the hand is worth a foot in the kettle. I don't know. You know, there's all these, you look at this and it's just really difficult for us to understand. And for centuries, like nobody understood it. The Egyptians did, but nobody else did. And so you go and you, you see all these cave writings and uh, tomb writings and you see all this history and nobody, nobody. And 1799, there was a French fellow who came across something called the Rosetta Stone. Are you all familiar with the Rosetta Stone? Um, not, not the computer program, okay? Not the computer program. Um, there is an actual physical stone that was found. Some of y'all are going to the DR. You're like, Rosetta Stone is on your phone, is on your computer. You're like, I need to learn Spanish before we get out of this place. But this French guy, he found the Rosetta Stone and it was a remarkable discovery because for centuries, nobody understood what the hieroglyphics of the Egyptians meant until they found this stone. And the stone is a decree that was made. And there are three different languages that are written on this stone and all of them are written and they're explaining the exact same decree. And so the top third of it is the Egyptian hieroglyphics. The middle section of it is uh, an Egyptian dialect of, of uh, Domets or something like that. And then the third one there, it's ancient Greek. Now, ton of people know ancient Greek. Not many people knew uh, um, hieroglyphics. But because it's all in the same decree, they were able to take the ancient Greek and make sense out of the hieroglyphics and begin to look at the hieroglyphics and see, oh, hey, there's an alphabet here. There's, some, there's an actual language here. This isn't just pictures that we're looking at. So when they looked at the ancient Greek, they were able to decipher what they were seeing in the code. Now put on your imaginary hat for a minute and I want you to, I want you to understand this, that Jesus is that stone. Jesus is what we would say, kind of like a, a Rosetta stone, that when you see Jesus and you look at scripture through the lens of Jesus, you begin to understand what God has written in his word because it all points to him. You, you following me? So he allows us to understand mysteries that we weren't able to once understand. He allows us by his spirit to see things that we weren't able to once see. He is helping us to understand what God has written from of old. Jesus is that stone and we understand what God has written because of him. And so in John 14, 9, Jesus says, anybody who has seen me has seen the father. He also says in John 10, that he and the father are one. 
And that's a remarkable statement from Jesus. But there's a tricky thing that happens here in the passage um, that uh, people want to take Jesus and begin to do things with his name that uh, we may not agree with. So there's a, there's a group called Jehovah Witness um, that they look at the same passage of John chapter one, verse one, and they read it, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was a God. They start adding things and it starts mixing with who Jesus is. And so no longer is Jesus a savior and the one that is God, he is just another God. And if he's a God, then anybody can become God and things start getting mixed up. But what John is saying here that no, 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 Jesus is the word and he is God. There is none like him. There is no one else like him. There will never ever be another one like him. And so how does this work? Where does God the father end and the son begin? They don't, they just, they just are. They, they, they're one and they've forever been one and they will always be one. Now you, you, can, you can try um, to dissect the roles of God the Father and God the Son. When you look in the scriptures, you're gonna see that they're doing different things. But when you begin to try to dissect their nature of who they are, you can't dissect them. Because when you cut the Father, you cut the Son. They are one, they are forever one, and they will never be separated. And so as the word of God, Jesus puts the heart of God on display. He shows us what God's love looks like, shows us what his grace looks like, shows us what truth looks like. And all throughout the scriptures, you see Jesus living out the word of God. You see him living out God's word and showing us when we look at him, we see what God's intent was. What, what does the heart of God look like for the outsider? Well, we see him go to the lepers, don't we? We see him go outside the camp time and time again. We see him go to people that you and I may never, may never even have dreamt to go towards. Um, how tender is Jesus when he gets close to those who are emotionally broken? How tender is he when he gets close to those who are physically broken? How do we see the care of Jesus in those moments? How many times do we see him reject um, those who looked perfect on the outside who would later be called these whitewashed tombs who look fantastic on the outside, but on the inside is dead man's bones. But yet in rejecting those who look perfect on the outside, he would go to those who look, just looked like a wreck, like they were just a, a hot mess, but yet their heart was bent towards Jesus. And they wanted to know who he was and how they could follow him. When we look at Jesus, we see God. You see the word lived out. You see salvation. You see salvation with skin. You see salvation with clothing on. Jesus is the word of God. He is God. But there's so much more. That's just verse one. And so we have another one to go towards. And so let's look next here. Uh, and you can write this down. So not only is Jesus God, but he's also, he's eternal. And so when we say eternal, what we mean is that there is no beginning and there's no ending with, with Jesus, which is hard for us to, to get our mind around because we don't understand something that doesn't start and something that doesn't eventually have an end because every one of us have a birthday, don't we? You're sitting here and somebody's born in January, somebody's born in March, somebody's born in December. We all have a birthday. There's a day where we didn't exist and then we eventually existed. It just happens that, that way. There was a day when you were born and your mom and dad, they wrapped you up and then eventually they said, you're, we believe that you're gonna take care of this kid and they let you leave the hospital and then you got home and then you couldn't sleep, right? There was a birthday. And unless the Lord comes soon, every one of us are gonna have a day when we leave this earth. Welcome to Riverview. 
It's a sobering thought. It's a sobering reality that just as we were born, we will one day die unless Jesus intersects that before it happens. Um, and for you and I, it's kind of hard for us to get our mind around eternality because we see start, we see finish. But for toddlers, I don't know if you've ever noticed toddlers, like they don't have a problem with eternal. Because like when they look at you, mom, and they look at you, dad, or grandma and grandpa or custodian, when they look at you, they see eternal because they think you've always been. I mean, they'll tell you you're old at some point. They just assume that there was a time, like, like you've just always been. They, they look at you and they're like, man, like what was it like to ride dinosaurs? Like they just think that you predate dinosaurs, right? Like they're in their mind, like you've just always been around. It's not difficult for a toddler to figure out that there is an eternal. But then when we, it, it, it's when, unfortunately, when um, things start dying, that people start putting two and two together, that things won't last forever, that people aren't gonna last forever. When a plant dies, when a grandma or grandpa dies, when a dog dies, the reality begins to hit like, okay, things do have a start, things do have an end. And then that's when eternal begins to be, become hard to be grasped. And John says of Jesus here, he says that he was in the beginning with God. Well, that's interesting, right? Because there's some people who think that, that Jesus was just a good teacher and that Jesus just happened to show up on earth one day. There are all kinds of heresies uh, uh, in, in, the, in the early church or outside of the early church that fell outside of orthodoxy that, that said that there was an actual time when Jesus didn't exist. And so that when he came into um, Bethlehem for his birthday, that is when he actually um, stepped into, when he stepped into humanity, that's when he stepped into existence. But we read the scriptures and we don't see that. That's not what we read of Jesus. We read that he was with God in, in the beginning. Some people think that maybe he was just this crazy lunatic or maybe um, that uh, they don't even think about him at all and they don't need a savior, they think. I'll ask you, where would you put yourself? For you, is, is Jesus just a lunatic? Is a guy who was just spouting off of the mouth and just talking crazy? For you, is um, Jesus a plumber down the street? Um, is he somebody that you would say is just a good guy, but he's not eternal? Or is Jesus the eternal savior of God? He's the one who came to seek and to save the lost. Who is Jesus for you in this category? John's gonna say, we have to understand this. We have, to, we have to understand this and believe. He says, you've got to know this about Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. And if we want to have some more context on this outside of John, we can see what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter one. He says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom we appointed the heir, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Uh, A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors and just a, a man that I just think always pulls our heart back to awe and worship of God. He said this, <clears throat> he said, Jesus Christ is, the final and complete revelation of God. In him, we see the very nature and character of God. And through him, we have access to the Father. He is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person. We can trust him completely for he upholds all things by the word of his power. And we see from A.W., he's just, he's just echoing what we read in Hebrews. That he has been and things have been created through him. 
He has always existed and he's always going to exist. And for, if we're being honest, it blows our mind because it's difficult for us to get our hands on it. And so why does it matter to us as believers in 2023 that, that, that Jesus is, is eternal? I think for starters, one, because it's hard for us to get our minds around that, that if, if we can grasp eternity, if we can somehow figure that out and how that works, that would put us on the same level as God. And I don't think we're ever gonna figure that out because we're not on the same level of God. He is God and God alone. And so we can't figure that out. His ways are higher than our ways. His understanding is higher than our understanding. And I think one of, honestly, one of the biggest problems that we have, listen, this is gonna sound crazy, but I think it's true. One of the biggest problems that we have is that we're so stinking smart. That we're, we're so incredibly intelligent that God has put so much wisdom and so much intellect and so much um, just brain power in each one of us that are sitting in this room that we sometimes get into our, our own way. Think about this. You, you might be absolutely brilliant. You may be an astrophysicist. I think that's a thing. I'm not sure exactly, but it sounds like it might be. You might have a PhD. You might have a medical degree. You might, have a, you might be a doctor who's doing surgery all day long, saving lives. You, you might be somebody who's sitting at a, a computer all day long and you are punching in code and you are making things work. Um, you might be in, in any scenario, by far, by leaps and bounds, you might be the smartest person that ever walks into any room that you ever walk into. But I want you to know that your wisdom and your intellect, it comes to an end. There is a moment where you cease to be the smartest person in the room. Somebody's gonna be smarter. There's a moment where you forget. There is a moment where you make a mistake or where we make a mistake. And that's where our eternality comes to an end. We are not eternal in that way. Knowing that Jesus is eternal means that when we put our faith in him, that we are anchoring ourselves. We are anchoring ourselves to something that doesn't change, to something that doesn't make mistakes. We were anchoring ourselves into eternity, anchoring ourselves to Jesus. And we look around and we look at world religions and of course they're all over, they're world religions. World religions pop up, they have a beginning. Joseph Smith, he received revelation out in a field. It had a beginning. Muhammad, he received revelation, he had a beginning. You see their beginning, but with Jesus, listen to me, with Jesus, there is no beginning. There just is just always has been. There is no beginning with him. And our faith then gets anchored into eternity when we place our faith in him. It doesn't get anchored just into the moment that we become a believer and we trust in him. When we trust in Jesus who is eternal, we have anchored ourselves into eternity with him. Do you understand that? Like this is a big deal. And so not only is Jesus eternal, not only is he the word of God, but he's also the creator. Would you write that down? He's the creator. John 1, 3 says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Everything that we see, everything that we experience is a result of his design and of his, his purpose. Why don't you listen to how Paul says it in Colossians chapter one. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Now, many of us who are sitting in here right now, we, we've, we've got kids, we've got kids. And when your kids ask you, hey, 
mom, dad, who, who made this? Everything that I'm looking at right now, the beauty that I see, who, who, made, who, made, who made the trees? Where, where, where did it all come from? So there's a beauty, I think, and an honesty in saying, Jesus did it. Saying Jesus did, did that. Well, daddy, how, how did he do it? Mama, how did he do it? You know, to be honest, son, to be honest, daughter, I don't exactly know. I know scripture tells us, but somehow by the power of his mind and by the power of his word, he spoke things into existence. But how he did that, I have no clue. I have no clue how he did And there is, it, you know, a lot of people say there's intellectual um, bankruptcy to say that I don't know. But I think it's actually biblically honest to say, I don't know how he did that. That my knowledge comes to an end. That how he did it is remarkable. But the fact that he did it is phenomenal. He created everything that we see. He created everything that we experience from the tiniest little atom that we can't even see with our naked eye all the way to the expanse of the universe. He created that. He, 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 he did that by the power of his word. How, and how he did it, I don't know. He could have explained it. He could have said, John, hey, while you're writing all these other things down about me, I want you to include exactly how I did this. But he didn't. He chose not to. He chose to limit it uh, to what we understand from the Old Testament, like spoke it into being and there it was. And, it, and it's amazing. He didn't give it to us. And here's why I think this matters. Because you and I want all the answers. Because we're smart people. We want to know how. We want to know why. We want to know all these things. And when we feel like things are out of control, we begin to wig out a little bit, don't we? When things are outside of our grip, outside of our control, um, two things can happen. We can either bury our heads in the sand because everything feels out of control and I'm just gonna act like nothing's happening or we begin to try to take control of things and to maneuver things to work out for our, our own good or for our favor, am I right? Yeah, I, I, I think maybe we either bury our heads in the sand or we manipulate things. How many of y'all bought 50,000 rolls of toilet paper in 2020, right? Things fell out of control. You said, at least I can control the toilet paper. At least I can do that. When things fall out of control, we just kind of begin to grasp. When we don't know what's around the corner, we make up what's around the corner. And then we try to figure out how to control what we don't even see that's happening over there. Now, we can trust God. He is a mighty God who has given us Jesus, who is the creator. We can trust that he knows what he's doing with our lives, even when we don't understand what he's doing with our lives. Even when we don't like what he's doing. If we would choose, like, you know what, if I was God, I would do it totally different. Well, that's cool. When you go build a universe, you can do it however you want. But until we can do that, we're, we're, we are with him on how he's done it. And we may not like how he's done it, but we have to follow in the way that he's put it. And so our emotions may um, be out of control sometimes. Our theology may need a little bit of time to catch up with us when we're not agreeing with what God says. And But he wants to pull us back into that space. But when my heart and my mind connects to the reality of who that, that, that the creator of all things is in control of all the things that he's made, I can let go of control and I can trust it because I can know that he's got it. One, one of my favorite things to do, and I think I've told you all this before, is, is just to watch a sunset. Man, I, I, I'm sappy like that, I guess, um, but I just enjoy 
a, a sunset to, to see what God has created. And I'm constantly, and like we're sitting, we're sitting in our, our kitchen table and uh, we have a little window uh, by our table and we can catch the sunset as it goes down uh, a little bit. It's not the best view, but it's a little bit of a view. And uh, I'm constantly, as we're sitting there, I'm like, guys, turn around, look at, look at the sunset. Look, look at what God's painting. And everybody's like, oh, it's another one again. And like, no, no, you don't understand. This is magnificent. Look at what God is doing right now. And the same thing happens when the sun sets and it goes over the horizon and the sky becomes dark and then it begins to fill up with these beautiful stars that just begin to sparkle all over the place. I look and I'm just in awe of who God is and the majesty of his hand. And, and I think, gosh, God, you did this. Like, like, like you, you did this. When we first moved here, we lived out in Soresco. Uh, uh, Dick and Gwen Porter, uh, uh, let us live in their barn dominium. Uh, well, like we lived in a barn for like the first three months that we lived here. And they had a little uh, apartment on the inside and we absolutely loved our time out there. But uh, outside of the barn, there was a, a wraparound porch. And I'm gonna tell you what, every evening when it wasn't freezing cold, we were uh, sitting out on the patio and we would just watch the sunset. And I'm gonna tell you, there is not a sunset that I've seen around the world that rivals the sunset in Nebraska because every single one feels like it could be on a postcard. It is postcard worthy. And I just marvel at the beauty of God. And I wonder, have you ever marveled at a sunset like that? Have you ever looked up at the sky and just realized, man, God, you are so big and I'm just so, I'm just so small. Have you ever been amazed at the complexity of the universe? All of these things, they were created by Jesus. He is eternal. He is creator. He is the word of God. He is God. And the last thing I want to say before we head out of here, and I want you to write this down, that Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light of the world. And I want you to listen to this because it's important. I think because we're living in what feels like a really dark time. Would you, would you agree? We look around and we see like, man, just things feel like they're falling apart. And I think every generation of believers who've gone before us, they've looked at their cultural surrounding and they've thought probably the same thing. Like, when is this thing going to end? Because it just looks terrible around us. But man, when we look around, it, there, it just seems like people are confused, that people feel hopeless, people feel lost. It doesn't seem like we know up from down, from left from right. And, and we, we just, right now, I think we need to know more than ever that in the darkness, that Jesus is still in control. That he's created a, a way through the darkness because he is the light. John says in verse four, says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. A little bit later, Jesus is gonna say in chapter eight, he's gonna say, I'm the light of the world. What a statement, right? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but is gonna have the light of life. And John, uh, he's gonna write later of Jesus' words too. He's gonna say in chapter 14, Jesus is gonna say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody gets to the Father except through me. And so if you're looking for a way forward, if you're trying to find your way through the darkness, it's in following Jesus out. We read in the Psalms that God's word is a light to our path. We read in the New Testament, the fulfillment of God's word is Jesus. He is a light to our path. He shows us the way forward. And for some of you, that just feels so stinking narrow, right? He's the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody gets to the Father except through him. What do you mean he's the only way? That Jesus is the only way to get to heaven? Jesus is the only hope that we have here? Is that really the only way? Yes, 
Yes, and that just feels so narrow for you. But I want you to know that like in a world that just is, is banking on exclusivity and inclusivity, uh, however you want to spin the argument, that Jesus is not exclusive in this statement. He's exclusive in saying that there is only one way to get there, but he is saying that all have the opportunity to come this direction. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what your previous orientation was. It doesn't matter what your past has been like or if you've had fantastic performance or fantastic failure it doesn't matter the way is open to anybody who will follow him he is the way the truth and the life he is the way to the father and that access that road is open to anybody who would travel it he's the light of the world he's navigating people through the darkness and into life it's the way the truth and the life and so if you're lost let me be the first one to tell you or the hundredth person to tell you you need jesus if things feel out of control, you need Jesus. If it's darkness all around you, you need Jesus. If you've tried everything and everything isn't working, let me tell you, you need Jesus. If um, you've come to Jesus and you expected everything to get better in your physical world, I wanna tell you, Jesus and Jesus alone is enough for salvation, but there are things that you might need to work through. You might need a good counselor to help work through some of your past baggage that you've had to work, walk with. There may be so much junk inside of your body that you need a time of detoxing. There may be some toxic friends that have been around you your entire life that have just pointed you away from Jesus. Now that you're walking with him, it might be that you need some new people around your life. You need some new, your new friends, but you need Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through him. You know, as we were um, growing up, We've got a 13-year-old, uh, 11-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a newborn right now. There's not a time in my children's life that there wasn't a moment where one of them was afraid of the dark inside of their room. We'd lay them down and we'd turn off the light. It's like, Daddy, Daddy, turn on the light. I can't see. I can't see. No, you can't see because it's dark in here. The lights are out. And there's fear that sets in because they don't know where things are at that moment. They don't know if they were to get up, if they could find out. They don't know if there's a boogeyman sitting in there. Like they're, they're just afraid of the dark because they're confused by it. And then you reach over and you flip on the light and like, oh, all things are clear again. And then the fear begins to dissipate out of the room. You know, we're not too different from our children. When things are dark and things are, look in dismay, like it freaks us out and it scares us to death. And we just need to reach over and turn on the light. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I will show you the way. And if you've not, let him turn on the light for you. I would encourage you uh, to do that. That's what he does for us. He lights up our path and he helps us to see the way forward. It's like a lighthouse. It's out in the ocean and a, a boat or a, a sail ship has just been beaten and battered and they need to figure out how do I get back to shore? And there's a lighthouse there that says, hey, safety is over here. So Jesus is saying, hey, there's safety over here. This is, follow me into this space. He lights up the, the way. So let's just let me give you three quick things as you, as you walk out things that we can put our fingers around to do this week. How do we apply it? Well, get to know the real Jesus. Get to know, well, we say real for, for a reason because when we, when we talk about Jesus, we're not all talking about the same one. And so we say, get to know the real Jesus. And how do you get to know the real Jesus? Like, I, I think that what I'm saying up here is true, but you can't just bank everything that you, that, that you hear on what somebody says. You need to go home and you need to open up God's word and let his spirit and let Jesus 
illuminate that for you so that you can understand what you're reading so you can see who this real Jesus is and experience him for yourself. We need to know the Jesus that we're following. We need to know that he's the right one. He's the one that we read about in the scriptures. And I would say on top of that, you need to trust the real Jesus. If Jesus is the creator and scripture says that he is, we need to trust that he knows what's going on in our lives when everything else feels like we're just about to wig out on everything. We need to trust that the creator of the world who's put all things into existence, he, he knows how it's going to work out. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for your family. He has a plan for you. He's got, he's got it figured out. And so we are free to trust him in that. And the last thing I would say would be to share Jesus with somebody. Share Jesus, like we're rolling into Easter. Like, man, this is like a T-ball, right? It's like on Easter, you just put the ball on the tee and like, Jesus like, I got it, boom. Like you just tell somebody about Jesus. Man, I am convinced that every single one of us in here has somebody in your life who doesn't know Jesus and you're the person that Jesus wants to use to tell him, tell them about him whether it's a brother or a sister or a mom or a dad, an aunt, an uncle, grandma, grandpa, a coworker, somebody who lives on your street. He, you are the person that Jesus wants to use to tell somebody else ab about him. So share him with somebody else. I'll guarantee you that if they've known you for very long, they're expecting you to say something about Jesus to them. And if you haven't done it yet, they're like, why won't you tell me? Why won't you tell me? Why won't you tell me? Let's get to know the real Jesus this week. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, it's good, good to be with my church family. It's good to be with my brothers and sisters that I care so deeply about. Father, I wanna um, just elevate you today. Thank you uh, for, for giving us your word. Thank you for pointing us to Jesus. Thank you that he's uh, all these things that we read about, uh, that he is true, that he is God, that he's eternal, that he's creator, and that he's the light of the world. Father, when we look around, we see dark. Would you illuminate the way? When we look around, we see confusion. Would you clear up some things? Just let us trust you. Let us trust you. In an age of confusion, let us find life and hope and light in your son, Jesus. Uh, we need it. We need it desperately. And so um, as we begin to head into Easter, Father, would you allow us to focus in on the real Jesus, I pray. It's in his name. Amen.